Welcome to Lorica, the podcast of Father Patrick Cardine, pastor of St. Patrick's Orthodox Church in Bealton, Virginia. St. Patrick's is a parish in the Antiochian Orthodox Christian Archdiocese of North America, serving the Western Rite. Father Patrick is also the administrator of the Orthodox West. The scriptures speak of God in many different ways. They speak of Him as Father, Husband, Creator, Shepherd, Farmer, Lawgiver. But also they speak of Him as Monarch and King of all. God the Monarch, who destroys His enemies and establishes His kingdom of peace, this is one of the most dominant motifs in all of the Bible about God. Psalm 110 is a prophecy about Jesus Christ, the Lord and King. It was really a favorite among the early Christians, and notably the most quoted Hebrew scripture in all of the New Testament. If you want to really know what the early Christians thought of first, when they thought of the Lord Jesus Christ, listen to this passage which is most quoted by them in the New Testament. The Lord said to my Lord, Sit thou at my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool. The Lord shall send the rod of thy strength out of Zion. Rule thou in the midst of thine enemies. St. John the Baptist came preparing the way for Jesus, and what was his message? Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Then Jesus came, Preaching. And what did he preach? The kingdom of God. When he cast out devils, what did he say? The kingdom of God has come upon you. At the very end of his earthly life, he was brought before Pilate. He was accused by the Jews. And the grounds for his execution was what? His claim to be a king. In those final hours before his death, he was interrogated by Pilate who asked him, Are you a king? Then, Jesus answered, you say rightly that I am a king. For this cause I was born, and for this cause I've come into the world. From Jesus' own testimony, Christ as king, it embodies his whole mission. For this cause, he says, I was born, and for this cause I have come into the world. I just want us to understand clearly this morning how central, how foundational This motif of Christ as monarch, Christ as king is in the scriptures and in all of Christendom. You know, there's many motifs about Jesus, many images that we have, and you might have your favorite, Jesus the shepherd, you know, with the the little lamb on his shoulders. We have that beautiful icon of the good shepherd, the humble Christ, Jesus the farmer, Jesus the teacher. All of these are wonderful. But the motif of Christ the King cannot be ignored. It is dominant in the scriptures and in the teaching of the church. Another example of the centrality of this motif is the most prominent icon normally in churches. We don't have one here because of the space at this time. But the most prominent icon historically in the church is Christ enthroned. Christ Pantocrator, or Christ in majesty, as it might be called. In the Hebrew scriptures, when they were translated into Greek, the word Yahweh 
was translated as Pantocrator, meaning all-powerful, omnipotent. This dominant image has been used in the church from ancient times to convey the monarchy and the kingdom of Christ and its centrality. And it is very important that we maintain this image in our hearts and minds as we set about to fight the good fight of faith in this world. And I think in particular this image was important to the early Christians and for us today as it relates specifically to our witness in the world. We are called to be witnesses. We are called to be martyrs. And it was the church as she was proclaiming the gospel message about who Jesus Christ is that drew most heavily, most strongly upon this image of his monarchy for strength and courage to proclaim their message and to not shrink back. Now, I want to read a, a portion from a lesson in Matins this morning from John's Apocalypse. John says, I heard a loud voice of a great multitude in heaven saying, Alleluia, salvation and glory and honor and power belong to the Lord our God. For true and righteous are his judgments because he has judged the great harlot who corrupted the earth with her fornication and has avenged it on her the blood of her servants shed by her. And the 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshiped God who sat on the throne saying, Amen, Alleluia. And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude, as the sound of many waters and a sound of mighty thundering, saying, Alleluia. For the Lord God omnipotent reigns. Now I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. And he who sat on him was called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes were like a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no one knew except himself. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name was called the Word of God. Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, that with it he should strike the nations, and he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Now that's not the image we get of Jesus Christ too much these days. That's the image we need. It's the image we need today. The church from the very beginning has loved this image of Christ. Why? We are beset on all sides by enemies in this life. And it's not difficult to become discouraged to want to quit, to despair, to give in to fear. But we must finish our race. We must stay in the boat. We must stay in the fight. Above all else, we must not give up. When we see Christ in His glory, we will not despair. We will rather be emboldened by His power and His love. And in this image, we see the Almighty Ruler of all who has also become a man, and not just any man. This man who is Savior and King is also our friend and our brother. A monarch protects his subjects and secures their peace, and he does this through the destruction of the enemy. Our monarch is the Prince of Peace, and he has delivered us from the kingdom of darkness. 
He has delivered us from the power of death. This encounter with the resurrected Christ, this is what gave the early Christians the courage that they needed to be witnesses, to be martyrs, to face death, to face the hatred of the world. It's also the vision that will give us courage to face our enemies. We are facing a very intense battle. We're facing a battle for what is real and what is true. And I mean in our own time, our own day, our own age, right here, today. Christians are so often afraid to speak the truth. I include myself in that because of the repercussions. Even those who name Christ as their Savior are constantly adjusting the boundaries of truth. Moving the line, moving the line. So many have become blinded to the truth by the enemy who is a liar. That is the nature of our enemy. He tells lies. He deceives us. The battle is a battle for the truth. And when you study the scriptures, speaking of Christ the King, what is tied to his kingship is that he, is, he proclaims and embodies the truth. The battle is against a lie. That is our battle. The deceiver, who is a liar, seeks to lead us astray. I think maybe we need this vision of Christ, the king and monarch, as much as the early Christians did who faced death. We face death of a different kind, at least in our culture. The death of faith as it has been handed down to us. And in the insidiousness of the lie, we call the death of this faith, the death of this truth, that so many have embraced, we call it love. Just this week, a couple of days ago, I read someone in a conversation who is otherwise a faithful, devout Christian in this Christian community in which they were writing, faithful and devout. They would put themselves forward as such. They wrote, and many agreed with them, that no one has ever hated the sin and loved the sinner. That's impossible. It's never happened. Someone else wrote back and said, yes, that's the stupid th stupidest thing that's ever been said. It's impossible to hate the sin and love the sinner. And everybody chimed in. Yes, how enlightened we are. You can't do that. The solution is to love the sinner and basically love the sin. That was the answer. That's the only other option. And they went on to talk about how you can't separate the sinner from the sin. You just can't. They're the same thing, so you just have to love it all. On some level, it's everywhere. It's what's being peddled by seemingly intelligent, and they're also intelligent in their arguments. Very crafty. And they're claiming the moral high ground. Where is the word of God riding on the white horse with that sharp sword coming out of his mouth to strike down false, demonic lies like these? Where is the King of kings and Lord of lords? But I don't want to end with that image because there is another image that we must hold in our minds and hearts equally. And if we do not hold both of these images, we do not have Christ. And that's usually the problem. As Augustine said, he meant something completely different by it, but totus Christus, the whole Christ. So you must have the image of the monarch king with a sharp sword coming out of his mouth, but you also must have this other image which reveals the very essence of his power, the fount of his glory. And that image is of our monarch hanging upon the cross, 
offering himself in sacrifice for the life of the world. There is no Christ in majesty without Christ crucified. There is no body clothed in light without a body stained with blood. When we see Christ crucified, we see God. We must proclaim this. We see God hanging on the cross. And we are not witnessing here an exception to his otherwise normal self. No, the humility, the sacrifice, the total gift of self that we see on that cross, that is who God is. And the cross is not limited to the cross. The incarnation was a cross for God. He divested himself of his majesty, subjected himself to shame and humiliation and temptation of the devil. But not just the incarnation is a cross. Creation itself is a cross for God. God created us that he might unite us to himself. And in order to unite us to himself, he had to come down infinitely low infinitely beneath himself to where we were. The cross itself is revealed in his act of creation. And we know our Lord was crucified from the foundation of the world. Again and again we see God's power manifest in his own free, voluntary weakness expressed in creation, the incarnation, and the cross. Christ in majesty, Christ the powerful king and monarch. He is the one covered in blood. Pilate asked, so you are a king? And Jesus responded saying, you say correctly, I am a king. This great king, Jesus Christ, was about to be crowned with thorns, robed in his own royal purple blood. That is our monarch. Of course, he was exalted on high. He traded that crown of thorns and that robe of blood for the light of eternal glory and majesty. If we shall reign with him, we shall also be required to tread the same path of humility, sacrifice, and suffering. The way up is down. The way to eternal life is death. Now we're not glorifying suffering. The daily death that we must undertake It's temporary. The goal has always been joy in life. That's the prize and that's our desire and that's what awaits us. We need courage today more than ever because we face a different kind of challenge, at least in our part of the world. If we love God, if we love those who are lost and hurting, those who have no hope, those who are trapped in their sin and despair, then we must We must hold to the truth and we must speak the truth in love, even though we might be ridiculed for it. If we are compelled by love for those who hate us, then we will be emboldened by courage because we've seen our elder brother who is reigning monarch. At the same time, we'll not forget that the way of his monarchy is the way of sacrifice and that his crown is a crown of thorns and his glory his spilt blood. To love is to give ourselves, yes, But it is also to proclaim the truth. And to proclaim the truth quite often means to be hated by many and to suffer for their sakes. So as we hear this message, we must remember, really remember, please remember, gentleness, patience, kindness. 
Remember that when it is right, and there's a time to speak and a time to be silent, but when it is right, we must speak the truth in love. And when it is not received, and it will not be received by many, which I always find confusing, even from myself, when we speak the truth, and people aren't just all happy about it, and we get all confused, wondering if we should have spoke the truth. We doubt. We falter. We think, oh, I've made a grave error because the message was rejected. I heard somebody's feelings. I was rejected. Have we not believed or read anything our Lord has told us? We must speak. If we do not speak, we have not loved. And if the world hates and rejects you, remember it hated and rejected Jesus. And he promised it would be this way. And yet we must bear witness. We must be martyrs. In our life, our deeds, and in our words. And those who are chosen, they will hear. And they will receive the word of life. But how will they hear if there is no preacher? In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. You have been listening to Father Patrick Cardine, pastor of St. Patrick's Orthodox Church in Bealton, Virginia. This has been a production of the Orthodox West.